0: that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader.
1: Back here for another UNLV All Access Podcast. Caleb Herring is in. It's Steve Cofield. Caleb, of course, the voice of the Rebels as far as being the analyst on radio. I'm the dopey sideline reporter, but, uh, you know, I like to serve as the voice of the fans. And I got to tell you, in about five minutes, we're going to get into the frustration if you're a fan of losing the San Diego State game. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being frustrated. And there's nothing wrong with with having expectations but we'll get to that in a couple minutes very important theme though for the game Caleb it is Friday night you and I'll be out there and I'm sure they're going to have a really nice pregame and halftime ceremony on Veterans Day on Veterans Day uh, on the coaches show Marcus Arroyo radio show I'm going to play this for you so the audience can hear it if they didn't hear it with Russ Langer and myself um, this is an important day for Marcus Arroyo and he did say he's going to don the Rebs hat the camo Rebs hat and he had it on on the Monday press conference but here is Marcus Arroyo talking about the important, uh, importance of Veterans Day.
2: It just allows us to honor some people um, who, you know, I, I'm a military kid myself, and, and dad is dad is a veteran. My cousin's a seal. My grandfather was uh, in the submarines and 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 Navy itself. I mean, we have a long lineage there. So I've got a background personally with what I've seen, uh, how it affects a family, um, what it does to. All the all the generations before before and after it um, and and, and, and kind of what kind of traits uh, come from from people who've been around those type of things what kind of things you know happen and you develop as, as a person that maybe you'd even know you have but I think it allows us to honor those people that have sacrificed their lives for our country uh, gives thanks to, and, and, and men and women who just serve military right now to protect some of the the beauties and, and things that we've got that sometimes we take for granted. Um, obviously it's pretty close to home. Uh, Matt is one of best friends in, in here and um, we've known each other for a long time. We have similar characteristics in regards to, you know, how we were raised and what we believe in and kind of our, our, our commitment and discipline and our, our personal pride. And um, I think the unselfishness and, and, and total regard for, for the bigger picture that the military gives us uh, that sometimes we take for granted is, is one huge reason to, take that day and and make it important. It's pretty much undeniable that in Matt's case, that uh, that tremendous and intensive experience overseas helped to shape him to be the individual that he is now, both personally and professionally. There's no doubt. I mean, anybody who who has a close friend or is around someone who's served and and, and put their life on the line, uh, there's a humility uh, usually about those people. There's a pride about them. There's a discipline. Uh, There's an unselfishness. That's very recognizable, and um, Matt personifies that in a many ways. He communicates really effectively to our young guys about a lot of stuff. And I think that you know, when you're fortunate to have someone come out of the branch who's who's got a mindset that understands how to communicate it, um, they can be double. They can multiply their power because they're able to speak from from such a magnifying experience to people about. You think you've got it bad, and you think you've got you think it's hard, or you think things are tough, or you think. Uh, you think that, you know, that the sky's falling on you as you sit here in, in your comfy chair or couch, uh, you take a step back and you're able to kind of think of things, see things different. And, um, and I think that's something I hope everyone has an opportunity to do if they're around any veteran.
1: Good deal. Very important, especially in this town too, with Nellis here. And we've got a ton of vets who, uh, live here, have retired here. So big day Veterans Day on Friday and should have the Rebels fired up and you know so should the last result against San Diego State. I want to play a piece of audio for you another one here in a second Caleb. So we bring in Caleb Herring not to ignore him sorry Caleb um, about (laughs) about expectations and you know before we play it though I just I wanted to get your reaction to a loss at San Diego State. They lose 14-10 and you know when you look at the history of The games between San Diego State and UNLV, you're like, not bad, not bad. Hey, they were right there. They missed on some opportunities. And, boy, when I hear people say that about that game, it grinds my gears.
3: Yeah, I mean, it grinds my eyes too. Especially with that team being so close in years past against that team um, and that team being who they are in the conference. Like, that team has kind of been the gold standard For success as far as the Mountain West They're always in the top two, three teams In the conference at the end of the year Um, They've been nationally ranked in the top ten They've been One of those powerhouse universities Especially by Mountain West standards And UNLV I think has for a few seasons Or recent memory been right Around turning a corner to being Able to compete or be compared as Equals with San Diego State This game felt like And just watching it being there feeling the vibe of the game watching the way both sides of the ball competed at spots during the game defensively offensively and special teams it felt like it was finally time to be on that level or better um and to like you you felt like you know you belonged there in that game it wasn't like we're happy to be close it was like no we're here to take it and for them to lose especially the way they did with the the self-inflicted wounds man it's it, it's it's frustrating because you don't want the program to be there in a place where good efforts are, are, are you know, moral victories are, are, are the standard. It's like, no, winning those games should be the standard and taking those games by the horn. It doesn't feel like a game that got away that they had a shot at. It feels like a game that they should have won and they lost. And it's almost a different kind of frustration, disappointment, like pissed off about it. Like we can't let those games get away. We can't lose games that we should have won. And that's a very different feeling, and it, it's really hard to put your, your, your finger on You hope that, you know, the attitude of the, the community that's grown so accustomed to UNLV losing football-wise, um, and, which, you know, there's a fan base that's complacent. that's saying, good try, guys. That's good. And, you you know, you want to encourage the good behavior or the good things that happen. The locker room can't have that. you got to be pissed off to lose now like you're that's how you become winners being pissed off to lose you remember going back like years when Cam Newton was just a sourpuss about losing the Super Bowl and everybody was like getting on him and he said something that it's a quote it's not his quote I don't know who originated it, but he he said show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser like it you don't want to be good and graceful in losses all the time sometimes you got to be pissed off that you lose because that's what winners do and that's everybody loves winning but the the real special programs hate losing more. And I think that's what the feeling I got after watching that game is like, I hate that they lost to San Diego State that way. Not just because they didn't win, but they lost. And it just it it's it's a disgusting feeling when you know you should have won come walking out of that stadium. It it's you gotta be pissed off about it.
1: Yeah, for the last five years now. You know, the the two thousand twenty game, the COVID year, that was a rough one. Just the team was not equipped at that point, point. that was a good San Diego State team. They lost thirty four to six, but the other four games, you got an upset by the Rebels down there. That was Lexington Thomas with a freaking monster game. They won that one. A uh, Year after, they lost twenty to seventeen. Last year was twenty eight twenty and it was the Arisa Bowl. But they very easily could have won that game last year. And this one had a slew of mistakes. And in a lot of ways, the Rebels handed the game to San Diego State. And I'll just tell you, I'm like again, I'm not a Rebel fan. I didn't go to UNLV, but you know I want to see them do well. When I looked up on the screens around the stadium when we were clearing up. And I saw Brady Hoke, and I, I like Brady Hoke, and you know, like, don't take this wrong. There was, a, there was a jokey poll out about two weeks ago about month, uh, most punchable faces for head coaches in the National Football League. And it was one of those, like, man, I would like – you just want to punch Brady Hoke right in the face. You know why? Because he can sit up there, and he can smile and laugh because they win these games. They win close That's games. True. And there's something – I'm telling you, there's an attitude with San Diego State when they get in situations, and it's time to win and I've said this many times on this podcast and other uh, elsewhere, basketball and football, and it's been in the series against UNLV a lot with both sports. When it's time to win, they win, and they know they're going to win. right? They're confident, and I always feel like there's a little bit of leaky oil because of a rough history with UNLV where sometimes, I don't know if the players felt in this game, but the players are like, you know what, maybe we're not going to win this game. And San Diego State knows they're going to win the freaking game, which carried me into the coaches' show kind of with a, a little attitude, and I was curious to see how the coach was going to react to this because I think a lot of coaches have been like, who the hell are you? How dare you put it that way? But I, I laid it out for Marcus Arroyo, and, I, you know, and basically it was the whole good effort, good job thing that's been around UNLV forever, and I, I just don't think that's acceptable, and I don't think that's ever going to lead to being a winning football program. So here's another part of the coach's show this week. I felt like last year in a lot of the close games, not that you gave this message, but where the program was, it was like, hey, good job, good effort. You were in these games. You know, it would have been awesome to win some of those games eight points or less. But for the San Diego State game, I look at that and I assume you do and the players, like, that's a winnable game. That's a chance to take down one of the giants of the conference. You're out gaining them for most of the game. You've got to win mm-hmm. that game. And I assume the players get that, that there's no more good job, good effort.
2: No, that, that's that, that's fair. I, I, I understand what, where you're coming at. And, and I think that, to be honest with you, uh, yeah, there's there's absolutely was that. Um, and that's what's been like since we kept since we got back together. And that's what in a lot of ways has pushed us as forward in positive and direction as we've as we've turned into is that I'm most proud. I've said this before, the fact that these games and games like that are meaningful and expect to win now. And it hurts. And guys are pissed about not getting stuff done. And so I can be really hard and direct now about that is not the standard. The standard isn't being just competing. It's winning. It's not, you know, the the, the, the note that we've made a couple times on the show and guys have asked for before is hey that you know the, the analogies about counter and getting back up and throwing and, and, and being able to to hang in there. And then the knockout blow conversation stuff that I use is an analogy. They know that's the expectation now and you have to develop as you grow in a team the knockout, the finishing piece. And in that game, all it was was you could find one play. You could pick one of one play and say that would have been it because I could have found about six or eight in there, and I showed the team that. I said, this is it. And so, um, you know, not getting together and finding out what exactly could have been done different, obviously putting a lot of new guys back out there, it just could, you could just tell we were rusty, man. And, and I think that this week's work it was really, really important to get back out here and, and grind.
3: That's got to be his mindset. And I think there, there's still a little bit of coach speak in there where, you know, you focus on correcting the things and, and trying not to be too, you know, doom is gloom on the guys. But it's an internal feeling that you just got to have. And, you know, we talked about uh, some of Doug's mistakes during the game. And he talked about that, and mentioned them, um, and Doug knowing them, um, knowing that there were mistakes. It doesn't make it any better that you know you should have done better. It doesn't make it any easier because you say y'all we could have won that one we should have won that one i think the good teams and winning teams do it they do the things that are necessary to win and we saw that for four games this year and you look at you know the four wins that they have this season that was early but we saw it we know they can we know they can execute at high level um the game plan this week was better than i think they've had um over the last few weeks from a coaching standpoint execution standpoint things came together a lot better in this game and we saw a closer to reality look at what the rebels could be what their potential is what they're they were closer to their ceiling in this game so just because you you feel that way that you left some on the table that there's five six plays yeah that you you know you can correct and get back and you you, doug's not going to throw two interceptions in the end zone we we understand that that's not his that's not normal doug play but at the same time that anger part i think i want to see more of it and we we're we're able to see these guys after the game. We, we hang out um, as we're getting ready to leave and getting onto the plane and we get a glimpse of kind of their, their temperament uh, and, and where they are as far as mentally the shock of the game. Um, and I'd I like to see guys pissed off on the plane. You know, I, I haven't seen it yet from this team, but you know, when guys are giggling and laughing on the plane, it's hours after the game and guys are like, you know, snickering on the plane. I want somebody on the team to step up and say, hey, we just lost and we shouldn't have. Our season's almost over. What are we doing? Yep. You should be pissed off. This plane ride should be in silence. You know, Go to sleep. Get ready to hit the ground running when we get back to Vegas. That type of thing. And one of the guys I'd see, and it's, not, it's no coincidence, is a super senior, Austin Ajike. Yep. I saw him getting on the plane, and he was, he was stone-faced. Yep. And, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't pissing and moaning at anybody or, or ready to fight on the plane. But you can see the, that quiet intensity in his face. Like, he feels it. He felt that loss. Um, at a level that I that I like, that he felt it that way. Yep. I, I appreciate it as a competitor just to name him out. There's other guys too, but that's what you have to have when you're losing games that you're supposed to win like that. Ajake has got
1: three games left and maybe a fourth, and he wants the fourth. Like it's go time now. So for any of that, you know, hey, it was close. Like that ain't that ain't good enough, and
3: that's got. And I'm not saying that was there, but that's got to get eradicated. It's hard not to find uh, the frustration in situation where the team should be. Um, winning those kind of games, and going back to the S- SDSU game, it's like that game was so winnable from from a just watching it in a press box standpoint. And I get frustrated, like as if I'm playing still, especially when the quarterback's making the mistakes. I get really frustrated, like as if I'm the competitive fire is just there. Um, and I think it's the same competitive fire that gets me excited. Um, and I, this is not false enthusiasm from my standpoint. I'm sure Coach Roy probably has this too. I like the pressure of having to win two of the last three. It's like, hell, why not go win all three of them? You know, I think that's how confident Coach Arroyo is in his players um, and how good they are when they play to their potential. They're not scared of Fresno State. Definitely ain't scared of Reno or Hawaii. So I think there is a little bit of excitement that these games are so meaningful down the stretch. I don't know that you like it, though. Like, it wouldn't have been ideal. You'd like to be kind of coasting in, uh, at least having the bowl game under your belt here to say like okay we got that locked up now we're just fighting for you know extra on top yep. um but you got to be fired up as a competitor there's no like okay we'll get the last two we'll nail it in for Fresno based on what we saw f- against San Diego State this UNLV team is good enough to compete because San Diego State had Fresno on the ropes like they they should have beaten Fresno State um in that Fre- game Fresno, in Fresno Fresno had minus 1 yard rushing in the game against yeah, at- against San Diego State they got
1: you know, rolled all over the field. Now, they threw for a lot of yards on it, but they were down two scores. Um, Aiden yeah. Robbins rushed for 115 yards against a team that is hard to freaking run against. Was the protection perfect on Doug Brumfield? No. Was it more than respectable? Yes. They had him out gained for three and a half quarters of the game. San Diego State had rushed for 29 yards for 55 minutes of the game. That's what they do. UNLV got the job done. And then they couldn't get it done on that final drive. So even the defense, if you know, the defense wants to walk over to the offense, they have every right to walk over and go, guys, you let us down. The D had one last chance, and I think a lot of it was they were gassed. They couldn't make the stop. And there's nothing wrong with examining plays. There's a responsibility at quarterback, right? You and I broke down. You did, Doug Brumfield on Cofield and Company, and I'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll insert some of these uh, clips for you in a little bit. But the other thing I wanted to talk about is let's be critical about the defense. Even though they had a good game and they allowed 29 rushing yards for 55 minutes, that touchdown by Matthews should not have happened. Why did it happen? Why
3: did that happen? It was just a lapse, a mental lapse in coverage uh, by Ricky Johnson. I think Matthews was – he's by himself. He had a tight end attached inside. Um, But the Rebels went with an inverted cover two look where – Jonathan Baldwin was coming from a safety spot. We kind of disguised it in the middle of the field. Jordan Morgan actually rotated down. I actually believe he was a delayed blitzer there. So they ended up in a two deep four under shell um, with Noel Williams playing the deep or the boundary half and Jonathan Baldwin getting off the hash playing to the field half to make your two high safeties. Um, They actually dropped Adam plant into the flat to the boundary and had the two inside linebackers playing underneath coverage. And, Ricky was to the field, he's playing the field flat, which is um, when you're learning how to play what's called cloud coverage, when you break cover two down in the side, they call it cloud. So there's a, the safety over the top of the corner underneath. That coverage, the understanding is the read is flat defender or flat threat to your area, to your flat, is who you guard. If there's no flat threat, you need to fall off and help your safety and carry number one or the receiver pushing vertical. Um, usually the way you do it is you funnel him inside number one so you're playing outside leverage of number one receiver and you're forcing him to run inside so that he has a closer track to the safety that's what your technique is usually do you're kind of funneling to the cover two guy um, Ricky didn't do that he, he for whatever reason took a step inside and gave him a free release outside so now the guy has Jonathan and him leveraged as far as outside leverage um, then if you're not gonna carry him at all you get a reroute um, which is you, you press him at the line of scrimmage, get contact, disrupt his route a little bit within that first five yards to help your safety get some time to get off the hash, as well as disrupt the timing between receiving and quarterback. And we saw how effective the Rebels were in the secondary of that all game long against San Diego, being disruptive on the timing. Um, Ricky didn't do that. He just literally let him run right past him. And then he doesn't, at the final step, sink underneath the route which makes that pocket shot a lot tougher for a quarterback because you have to get it up over the corner and down before the safety gets there. So he didn't do that either. And the thing that was shocking to me about it was he did that as if there was a flat threat, uh, a receiving flat threat coming to his own. There wasn't. Literally no one, there was no route underneath. The running back didn't come out of the backfield that way. All the action went away. It was just Matthews, the receiver, Ricky and Jonathan ball were the only three on that side of the field. So for him to not carry that at all and to have his eyes in the backfield the way he did, um, it was just a, a lapse in judgment. And it was a, a crucial mistake that led to a big touchdown early in that, in that first half, or excuse me, in the second quarter rather. Um, and it, it was unnecessary points. I think the defense played well up until that point And even after that point, but those kinds of laps in judgment uh, are costly. Yep. Um, and the margin for error especially when your offense is is slow to to arrive to the party you can't have that and this is not to just lay into ricky because he he knows this he understands this and he probably beat himself up more than that on the sideline because he knows you got to you got to play that technique a little bit better but it's the the you can't afford those lapses in a game and and it, it's it was so to me obvious that that somebody needed to adjust and i think ricky was the guy and you can say jonathan baldwin maybe held his disguise a little bit too long getting off the hash but you you're not thinking you know you're gonna have to sprint off the hash like that i think it was a great disguise a good defensive call um just got to execute that part of it a little better make that throw way tougher than it was it was it was a cakewalk and then of course get him on the ground right you got two guys on one on the sideline basically pinned there get him out of bounds, get him to the ground, something. You can't miss two tackles right there in the open field like that and let the guy get the touchdown to put them up 6 nothing at a time. Yep. 14-10 final. I mean,
1: at worst, that should have been a field goal, right? Maiden did make a good throw, but, you know, in a game that close, you can't give up a touchdown with multiple mistakes on the play. I will say Ricky Johnson for his first game action of the year I thought was very good, more than representative, scored okay with PFF. Uh, you and I both commented that – the way he plays corner,
3: a lot more press, no cushion, changes the entire defense. Yeah, 100%. And I think both he and BJ Harris have that kind of aggressive mentality now at the second corner. They're not second guessing themselves. And uh, I think, you know, with the injury to Ricky early, Cam Oliver playing outside, you can see his confidence wasn't there as far as an outside cornerback. So it was almost like protect myself and not be aggressive, not take chances, keep it all in front of you, just rally up and make the tackle. And that's what you saw through the first four or five games of the season as Cam sort of got more comfortable. He started to come along, but with Ricky and with BJ, they have a natural instinct for it. They're like, no, we're gonna play in your face. And same thing with Noel on the other side. He's like, no, I'm always in your face. And then there was a point in the game where Shavers started John after the pass interference on Noel where it was like everybody in the secondary Seeing Noel get into it with savers, it like ignited a fire where everybody's like, okay, we're in your face. And then Jordan Morgan comes with back-to-back PBUs, like coming over the top of a tight end, perfectly timed, physicality, playing through the ball. Jonathan Baldwin, same thing, driving through the receiver to break the pass up. We saw Jare Williams in coverage, not necessarily the best man-to-man cover guy from his nickel spot, but challenging guys down the field, making things harder for the passing game, being disruptive. Not necessarily being there to break it up every time, but just throwing off the timing. And when you do that, you allow the front four to get their pressure. And you see guys like Jalen Dixon getting sacks. The pocket collapsing, where we said it a couple times during the game, is that was a coverage sack. And we haven't said that much for UNLV. The coverage disrupted the timing because of how physical Ricky Johnson, Noel Williams, and the other guys in the secondary were playing. And I love that fire. Like There was moments where I just like, zoned in on the secondary. It was like, I want to watch these guys compete because they were going at it, and I absolutely loved it. I want to see more of it. Hopefully, it's going to translate against Fresno State where the guys have that same confidence and are willing to get physical with that group of talented receivers because, boy, they're going to have to disrupt timing for sure with Hano throwing 58 times a game in the last couple of games.
1: Yeah, Ricky Johnson played 47 plays. B.J. Harris played 25. I have a feeling that might even out in this next game. I don't know that Ricky Johnson is going to be 100%. Um, He looked a little dinged up with his leg at the end of the game, so... They, I mean, folks, you know, trust what you see. Cam Oliver's a good player, and he's had some really good moments and pick sixes. When you have two guys who are back for, like, the last three weeks and they jump immediately in front of him, then we kind of see what the plan was. Cam's a very usable part and still a you know a guy who has a lot of potential, but they believe in Ricky Johnson and B.J. Harris, and they're going to need both of them, and they're going to need Cam Oliver probably in a rotation, and Noel Williams is going to get worked a lot, and Jordan Morgan's going to have a lot of responsibility, and Baldwin, and others are going to be in the mix because, as you mentioned, Fresno, whoo, I mean, between just at the top, Romillo is is excellent, a transfer from Cal. They've got two other guys who have been really good. And then anyone who's watched UNLV football, if you don't know who Jalen Cropper is now, Jalen Marino Cropper, you you, you forgot, you know, and things happen, right? Last year, he crushed them. He crushed them. He's, he was the reason. It was Hayter getting him the ball. Rebels could not freaking cover Cropper. He had just under 150 yards receiving and four touchdowns. And, you know, let's go further back. He was a real dynamo killing Tony Sanchez Mm -hmm. with the jet sweep. Right? Brilliant guy around the edge. I mean, this is a guy who turned down Nebraska, turned down other power fives to stay in California and go to Fresno. He's awesome. And they've got a trigger man now who looks like he's healthy. This is going to be awesome watching what is becoming a pretty confident defensive backfield for the Rebels against a really, really good Fresno passing game.
3: Yeah, it, it's solid. It's very good. And, I, like, looking at what UNLV can do now, uh, just going back to the secondary, the depth that they found with B.J. Harris and Cam Oliver having to play all year, this game, I said it, it would be great if Ricky came back for this game. He came back a, a week early. But I think now the UNLV Rebels defensively have packages that will see a, maybe a dime look for UNLV coming into this game where they're playing, you know, three uh, down linemen, two inside linebackers, and then five DBs behind it. Oh, wow. Um, essentially to, to, to try to counteract that passing. And that way, you know, you can still man up across the board um, and, and have two safeties deep just in case over the top. Uh, maybe even doing more disguises in your zone coverages because you have more speed on the field with secondary players like B.J. Harris, Cam Oliver. Maybe even playing more like his true nickel position on the opposite side. Like, like I'm just getting imaginative here. You know, three down linemen. You got Plant. Uh, you got L.E.L. Uh, Dixon. Let's say down down front uh, to get a pass rush to be disruptive. You got uh, let's say you put Austin in the middle with three down linemen, one guy in the middle. Um, and then you got your two nickel kind of backs with Jerray Williams and Cam Oliver playing their nickel position. Jerray obviously a little bit more adept in playing the run, you would think. Um, and maybe even throwing Elijah Shelton out there as the second guy um, on the outside, just a potential rusher or defender in the pass game. And then four other DBs out there. Um, they have the potential to do something like that, to play that kind of game now with the depth that they have. That's, there's guys now across the board that they trust to be on the field to make plays, and I think they, they can do something like that. But looking at this receiving core, there's so many threats. And then that's not even to mention Jordan Mims, who I think is a solid running back and has the potential as a receiver out of the backfield as well. They've motioned him out and empty, kind of the same way they do with Aiden uh, with UNLV, where he moves around the formation a lot. I think he's a little bit better of a pass catcher, and he's a little bit more agile in space. Um, but he's a solid running back as well, so add him to the mix. You got to respect, you know, the, the 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 running back draw. They have the potential. They just one to be the one of the most potent offense in the conference, if not the most. Especially with Hainer back at the helm and Moreno Cropper has been he's been a thorn in the Rebel side for in the Rebel side for years. Josh Kelly is getting back healthy as well. So I mean, Zane Pope is, is the third of the guys, but he's a threat. Like he's he carried the load for the early portion of the season while Hainer was out. Now the chemistry's back with Cropper and Ramírez, it's, it's going to be a tough task. But I think with guys like Jalen Dixon up front, Adam Plant, who's been playing great, those two individually. If is back healthy, um, and I think the blitz packages they've been able to add in with Elijah Shelton throughout the season, they, there's opportunities to get pressure. Uh, Dante Bull went out uh, in that San Diego State game. So the offensive line for Fresno State has probably been the weakest point on the offense. Um, and I keep going back to 36 pressures. That's a ridiculous stat to throw out there. And San Diego State, obviously, with what they do, they they're good at generating pressure. But with what UNLV has done as a defensive front, especially the early front, the healthy front that we saw earlier in the season, if they get guys closer to 100% and are able to apply pressure on Hayner, he's a shorter quarterback. Get some hands up in passing lanes. Yep, those things could be the difference. And I think um, with the secondary behind it to complement and be aggressive. I think they've got a really good chance to, to be disruptive with this offense because when they get disrupted when they're off schedule th- it does look ugly at times with fresno state i'm talking about their offense can go through some lulls throughout the game where they they're three and out really quick they're you know they're not they're going for home run shots they're just not getting them or you know they, they design these plays where they're supposed to break one tackle and it can go the distance but if you're consistently making that tackle you're stopping for two three yard gains um, and it can get ugly, so I think UNLV has a has a has a shot at a game plan, um, and obviously it goes hand in hand with playing complementary, playing better offensively yourself, taking care of the ball. But I, I think it's going to be a fun one with with what we're seeing now from UNLV in the secondary. I think it's going to be a fun matchup, a, a lot more fun than maybe anticipated at the beginning of the season.
1: And the players who were here last year remember the trip to Fresno. Uh, Doug Brumfield got knocked out of the game, and Cam Freil, with almost no experience, came in and you know had him with uh, final possession with a chance to win the game, but they went toe-to-toe with them and held up more than solidly, so they should be motivated not only to get a win this year, get out of this losing streak, but also they know they can hang with Fresno State. One last thing on the approach on offense. Uh, Listen to this right here from Cam Worrell, who played at Fresno State. He's their analyst on radio, and he talked about one of the weaknesses of Fresno throughout the season. Teams have been able to go and run the ball, and run it a lot.
2: The Boise State lost the second half this Fresno State defense. They were just dominated by the run game. It was nothing creative. It was, we're going to line up, and we're just going to pound the ball right at you, and we feel like we can do that. And when this game, it's exactly what they did. So just like on the offensive side, physical defensive
1: fronts has, have really affected this offensive line. Physical offensive front. Big running backs. They they've been able to to do some damage against this Fresno State defense. The Rebels have the run game, and I think they need to use the run game because the other way to defend a high-powered offense, keep them off the field. Aiden Robbins, I do, I do think does need some help from Brumfield a little bit on the ground. But I'd love for them to find a way to make
3: sure that Courtney Reese gets you know six, eight, ten touches. Can you do that? I think you can. I think I would say I would even bump it up 10, 12, maybe even to the low teens. For Courtney, depending on how heavy you want to have the ground game, play. obviously you only get so many reps, and it a lot of it has to do with how long and how well you're sustaining drives. Um, but I, I think he can definitely be a, a change of pace running back. And Aiden is—he's great in his own right. He's—he's he's a power back. He makes a lot of things happen, um, even when the offensive line doesn't necessarily have a clean hole for him. But there's also some things you leave on the table because if I had to grade or just assess for what I'm looking at. Courtney has the better vision of the two running backs. He has a, a better feel, especially for these zone-type plays, of how to maneuver and cut and find the little holes because he has to. You know, he, he's smaller. He has to find the blocks and find the offensive lineman's back, so to speak. And then he has a, a gear that I think Aiden doesn't have, a form, a, an acceleration and agility standpoint that linebackers have to adjust to. Um, whereas with Aiden, those first two downs, you're, you're thinking, okay, got to get in position get my weight down, get ready to, to deliver a punishment here or hold on at least. Whereas with Courtney, it's like if you stop and break down too much, he's by you. He's making you miss. So I, I think that change of pace is valuable. Maybe not just traditional runs, but getting him the ball in screen game and things like that, which we haven't seen a, a lot of um, for him either. So I I do want to see um, the, the running back reps get divvied up. Now, if, if Aiden comes in and he's got the hot hand, obviously he's a workhorse. You can ride him. Um, So and we've seen him dominate games like that on the ground. Um, But I I would like to see Courtney be used a little bit more effectively. And the key is to sustain drives either way. Um, And I think you'll see more of Courtney if drives are sustained um, because there's naturally more plays or be fatigue set in offensively. But that's a good thing. Uh, I think the offensive line has actually done a better job. And I don't have the PFFs in front of me. Um, But the offensive line hasn't been the problem uh, for UNLV, especially that last game. I think they did a great job protecting as well as Aiden Robbins getting in on the pass rush. But more importantly, they did a good job dominating the trenches in the ground game. I think there was points in that game where it was like they're moving the line of scrimmage effectively, which opened up play action passes, slowed down the pass rush. That's a lot of what people don't realize about having a solid run game. It's not just about moving the line of scrimmage, getting yards. It's about the guys on their pass rush. First of all, defensive coordinators not being able to call the exotic stunts and twists because those things aren't designed to stop the run. Like if you're running a, a an ET twist into a zone read, you've instantly given up the edge, right? So the, the, the there's no contained player. So you have you don't, you're not playing a shoot. We heard Coach Bojay coaching up the defensive line this year about that. When you do an exotic pass rush stuff, it's getting you out of your gaps for run fits. And that's what Air Force was doing, um, where there was a, a lot of one-on-one pass rush stuff that they were doing, and it created lanes for the run game. So- when you have a good run game, it slows down the pass rush because you're not doing exotic blitzes. Um, and then also, of course, you set up your play action, which is huge for UNOV's offensive system. We know how explosive they can be when that play action is flowing. Um, but I think that's been huge, and the offensive line has been a part of that. Again, going back to the top of the point, Courtney Reese got to get more involved. Uh, I think Kyle Williams on the jet sweep is another element of this offense that I think I want to see get involved just to kind of spread it out a little bit. So Aiden's not the the point of emphasis, the point of focus for the Rebels ground game. And then, of course, Doug, as he rounds back, you know, getting some hits in his body and getting back used to running out, running around out there, him as the decision maker on zone reads, as well as speed options, is a dynamic that you need back in this offense. Obviously, his impact was felt, especially in the red zone early in the year, where he had massive success getting the ball into the end zone and being a threat on the ground, getting that back and seeing more of that and more proper decision-making from Doug in the run game, I think is going to be huge as well. There's so many elements of this offense that even though the players were back last week, you didn't really get to um, just because the poor decisions in the red zone and the turnover, self-inflicted wounds, ended the drives early. And then there was explosive plays. They didn't have very you know, extended 9, 10-play drives. But once you start getting into the meat of the playbook, I think all of these things start to become a factor. And that's what you're going to have to do against Fresno. Possess the ball, win that time of possession, and stay on the field for as long as possible while finishing in the end zone. That's, I think, the formula is keep Hainer off the field.
1: My pick for the game, I think Fresno will win, but I think it's going to be very close, and you and will have lots of opportunities to win this one. So I'm going to go with a
3: uh, higher scoring game, Fresno 31-28. So I'm going to go 35-28, to 28, and I'm going to flip it on you because I'm going to go Rebels, 35-28. I, I think – The performance that they put on defensively, what I saw from them, it's probably the best secondary that I've seen UNLV have in in a a very small sample, but just the potential for what they could do. uh, I think they they match up a lot better than years past. And I think with the game plan coming back uh, with offensively getting those things fixed and the turnovers especially getting fixed, I think they'll put up points. I think UNLV will put up points and possess the ball longer. Um, so, I think the Rebels win it 35 28.
0: All right, Caleb, good job. Thank you. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.